Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 16. And while you do that, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Josh. Some of you know me as the Urbana guy, but today I get to be the the champagne guy for you. If you are invited here by uh, one of the members here of the church and they told you the uh, we got a California uh, pastor, he's really cool, he's got lots of great hair, and you showed up expecting to see the beach boy, and instead you get the cowboy. Uh, please come back next week, that's Pastor Eric, we just kind of switched places with, with one another, and he'd be glad to, to meet you and know that you're here, but uh, we're going to have fun today. I know every time I've been put on the schedule to be with you, it seems like something I don't know, catastrophic has come up. So I kind of hesitated every time Pastor Eric said, hey, you're you're due there because it's been like, woo, you know, the devil just didn't want us to get down with Jesus together. But not today, devil, we're going to do this thing together. I'm excited to be with you. We're going to continue on in our True North sermon series. So if you haven't been here in a while, And it seems as we travel along today that you're kind of coming in on the middle of a conversation. Uh, It's because you are. (laughs) Um, We are reading this letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in Corinth. You can actually go and visit Corinth today. You can look up on Google and check the weather it existed. It's It's a real place with real people. And to try to summarize... Uh, this church is, is kind of divided amongst each other, trying to exchange their worldview that they have made for the one that God wants to give them. Our worldviews, and you can go back and check out some of our sermon series, but uh, they really are just a lens that we look at to see life, how we interpret life. And I don't know if it's uh, you, but like you can be in a group of people and watching the same thing, and you see it differently. Like if I drew or said or had a Green Bay Packers sign up here, that would give one or two responses. Now, if you're normal, you know, you would have angst and disgust, but maybe if uh, uh, you live in Wisconsin or you're, you're a mom of one of the players, you would look at it differently. And that's because our lenses, the way we look at stuff, are distorted without us even Knowing it, what Paul's saying, the solution for all our trouble seeing is to look through lens of what he says in chapter 2, verse 2, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so for the rest of our time together, for we're in week five, for 20 some odd more weeks, Paul's going to bring up a problem that they're experiencing, point them to the cross, and then flush out what they're supposed to do In light of that, last week we uh, learned that we're supposed to be growing in our faith, right? We all start out as babies, but we're supposed to be growing and we're supposed to be doing quality work. It's not that uh, we work for our faith, but we work from our faith. They're, They're not enemies, they are two sides of the same coin because one day... Whether you like it or not, you're going to stand before God and he's going to show you the quality of work that you've been doing for him. So we talked last week that we're supposed to be building. This week we are going to look about how to build with quality. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. We're just going to read this whole bad boy together. 
starting in verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy that person for the temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standard of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or this present age or the future, all are yours. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any other human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the uh, appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of our heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being, one, in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For what makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Well, the title of my message today, what I want to talk with you about is apply your credit. How do we, I'm sorry, apply our benefits? How do we apply our benefits? Good to see you, brother. So when we had our second child, I got three girls, but when we had our second child, Joey, I was uh, working as a union carpenter, and I was going to uh, school full-time at Lincoln Christian University. And because Michelle had a C-section with our first one, they already kind of scheduled her uh, delivery date for a week before she was due. And so trying to uh, be a good dad, be a good father, I wanted to create some breathing room. So I took an intensive, uh, a intensive class at Lincoln trying to kind of create that space to be around and, and be available. So guess what happened? Yeah, Joey decided to show up during my first day of class right in the middle of a good old uh, Central Illinois winter snowstorm. I mean, it was crazy, particularly for me because I'm an OCD planner, you know, like to have things the way they were. But hey, we, uh, we adjusted, we got through it, and all was good, or so we thought. About four months uh, later, we started receiving bills um, from the hospital uh, asking for, uh, you know, payment for, for the delivery, and none of it was covered. And see, that was a big surprise to me because I had insurance. That was the reason why I continued working 
in the first place. And if you've ever looked at your bills like the before insurance and after insurance, like it was, it was a big number. It was a big number. And so uh, I had called my insurance company to ask what was up. And they said, oh, you, you have benefits. You just, you just failed to apply those benefits on Joey. So I was a carpenter. We don't have an HR person kind of watching our back. And so while I had the benefits there available, I failed to apply those benefits. And I think this is the dynamic of what Paul's trying to get at with this church and us today. We, we have benefits from God at our disposal, but we have to apply them. So if we want to apply our benefits, we have to start with know your place. Know your place. So Paul says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? To hear Paul tell them that they were God's temple was a familiar yet confusing concept to them. It was familiar because in Corinth they had 12 different temples associated to different gods and, and people would come from all over the region to offer sacrifices to those gods, to get those gods to do what uh, they wanted that god to do. But it was confusing because instead of going to a building to encounter the, the divine, Paul is telling them that they are that temple and that when people come to meet with God, that they were the ones that the people would see. And it's not just any temple. The word used for temple is a specific term for the sanctuary area. Not the general, not the lobby of it, but the, the most holy and sacred spot of the temple. If you're, if you're a, a believer and you've been around for a long time, you've, you've heard of the Jerusalem temple uh, uh, where, where the holy of holies, that's, the, that's where it contained God's presence. And it was, it was like an inner chamber. You couldn't even go in there. And it was like God's home, it was his headquarters, it was the control room, so to speak. So he's not just saying, you are one of many temples, you are the one and only, you are unmatched, you are unrivaled. And wow, that's an incredible statement when you ponder about it because of what happens in a temple. See, we come to worship your creator God, the king of heavens and earth, at a temple that knows you and loves you and like a dog after me wants to be close to you. We don't worship God because he needs it. We worship God because we need it. When we chase after lesser things, we become slaves to those lesser things. So when we sing praise and give him honor and glory, it breaks those chains of things that are trying to hold us down. When we come to a temple when we come to the temple, when we are the temple, uh, we come face to face with the holy God and we recognize immediately the filth and unworthiness we are to even be called and to be by his side. But he doesn't kick us out. He welcomes us in through his son, Jesus. It's a place where love leads, where grace is given, where, where mercy is manifested, where peace is personified and hope is happening that's what happens at a temple. It's a place of restoration where, where broken down things can get fixed up. 
It's a, it's a place of reconciliation where wrongs can be made right. It's a place of transformation where nobodies can become somebodies. Those addicted to junk can get a, addicted to Jesus. It's where burdens are shared, needs are met, where conflict should be resolved, and where problems become pathways. I've seen miracles happen. I'm not just talking about little things. I've seen Hopeless marriages become happy marriages. I've, I've watched cancer and been praying for cancer and it just vanishes. I've watched people be on their deathbed and, and giving last rites and then death just be told to kick rocks. We are this temple and what Paul is saying to them and to us is to know your place in this world and you are representing Jesus to everyone that you encounter and somebody asked, why don't, we, why, why don't we see God in our midst like this? Why didn't God show up all those things that you just said that God does? And it's like we said last week, you know, we all start out in faith the same way. We get, what did Jesus say? We have to be born again, right? We're like babies. And it's okay to be babies. It's just not okay to stay babies and wear our spiritual diapers, As long as we're content being fed milk, we have no energy and no time to feed anybody else out there that is hungry. Paul says in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. The word destroy means to defile. It's, it's to take something special and make it ordinary, make it plain. It's to take something that's invaluable and make it worthless. When we claim to be followers of Jesus and don't act like it, you are using your Lord's name in vain. I know you, that's one of the, the Ten Commandments, and I know you heard that was about not cussing and not swearing. It's not about cussing, it's about who you represent. And so here's the thing, when we go out into the world and they don't see us caring, they don't see us ministering, they don't see us providing each other, they reject us as they should, but in the process, they reject the wrong Jesus. We don't, when we don't grow up, we don't just ruin it for us. We ruin it for everyone. We have an awesome responsibility and privilege in the kingdom of God. And I'm afraid we have taken that too lightly. And here's the thing why I'm so passionate about. There are people in your life, in this community, that are never going to step foot in this church. And they're never going to open a Bible. And the only Jesus they are going to encounter is the one that's inside of you. The question is, what Jesus are we showing them? When you know your place with God, you can apply the benefits from God. So you got to know your place, but we also need to consider our, your position. Consider your position. In verse, uh, ch uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So as the church in Corinth is fighting, with, fighting and quarreling with each other, they're literally dividing 
this most sacred place that they're supposed to be, and they're fighting about who's better, who's smarter, who's got a better gift, who should be in charge. Paul reminds them of his position, and he uses two pictures. The first one is servant. Now, most of the time in your Bible when you see servant, it just means slave, but that's not the word Paul uses here. It's like a free person who operates under the authority of another. It literally, it literally means under rower, like on a big galley ship. It's the picture of someone who follows directions from the captain without asking questions or without hesitations. The second one he, uh, picture he uses for us is those entrusted with is actually the Greek noun for steward. It's a person that would manage uh, their master's household and affairs, making sure that the master's desires and wishes are carried out and would have to answer any time the master wanted to know how things were going for how they've been running his household. And here's the thing, to be, that high, to be the temple, to be the highest place where we represent God, we have to take the lowest position of being a servant or being a steward. And those can seem like off opposite statements if we look at things through our worldview lens, but if you look at them through Jesus Christ and him crucified, they make total sense. You see, Jesus didn't beat sin, death, evil uh, by forcing his power over them. He allowed them to exhaust and exercise all their wisdom and ways on him. He could have destroyed them, but instead he allowed them to destroy him. It was his power under them that silenced the wisdom and ways of this world. Because when he rose from the grave, sin, death, evil, hell had no power over them because he beat them by playing the rules of their own game. Jesus show us, showed us Jesus won, and he showed us how to win. Wasn't by forcing your way, it was by surrendering your way. When God wanted to show his, his muscles, when he was trying to flex for us, he didn't, he didn't show us commanding an army. He showed us carrying a cross. And as Jesus followers, we are called by our master to carry our cross and follow him. To use the picture that Paul used uh, as we row, we grow. When you're rowing, we are growing. But if we refuse to row and we want to act like a child and stay a child, if everything is about me and what I want and what I like, how I want things to be, then the, the boat won't go anywhere. The problem is we all want to be captain, but we already have a captain. Christianity doesn't need our suggestions to make it work. It just needs to be put to work. Jesus, Jesus' plan, hey, it doesn't need our improvements from us. It just needs to be lived out by us. It's been doing well for 2,000 2, years. Jesus came with a mission to make us right with God by dying on a cross for our sins. And the plan for getting that message out was to make disciples. So Jesus' plan for the church was to make disciples that, guess what, could make more disciples. The church today 
I mean, if we're being honest, the church today seems uh, more in the business of making consumers and critics that like leaving ratings and reviews for how the local church performance is going. And here's the thing, if you only come here to get entertained, if you only come in here to be, to be a consumer, then you can never be challenged. I can't challenge you with any of this stuff because it's all about what you like. And, and that's okay if that's what you want, but you can never be transformed if you can never be challenged. I heard a guy say once, uh, Jesus started the church that he wanted, and now he wants the church that he started. Jesus started the church that he wanted. And now he wants the church that he started. I mean, think about this. Just bear with me for a second. It's it's summertime, and I get that, you know. Uh, I think we actually have more time at our disposal, but in other companies, they don't think so. And so notoriously, this is a time when uh, churches will slow down. Our volunteer, all the people it takes to make all this work, like are at bare bones. We got people repeating all the time. Groups will stop meeting or they'll meet very not so much, all because we don't want to compete with uh, vacations and plans of the summer. Now, hear, me, hear, hear your pastor out. Don't, don't tell Pastor Eric that your band of guy was nuts. He hates vacation. I love vacations. I hope to take a vacation this year. I got one on the books. I plan on enjoying myself. I hope you take a vacation. I hope you enjoy the time you get with your family wherever you go. But to say, hey, Jesus, we're not going to row very hard this season, or we're not going to row at all, kind of sounds like Jesus is on our boat, the only one rowing, instead of us being on his boat. I mean, last time I checked, following Jesus isn't a seasonal commitment. And you know what? The devil doesn't take vacations. What you don't understand is you have an enemy that hates you, wants to take you out, wants to ruin your family, wants to ruin all that God has given you, and he knows he can do the same thing by just distracting you. We will never reach the people and places you want God to reach unless we take our positions and learn how to row as disciple makers. If you're not in a group, this is what I'm saying, if you're not in a group, like you said all that just to get us in a group, yeah, I did. If you're not in a group, you need to go pester out front on a connection car, whatever, and overflood Samuel and Michelle Jacobs to get in. You need to be in a community of people trying to follow Jesus that, are, that know you, love you, support you, and will challenge you to grow in your faith because it's in community where we work out our junk. Now, I know you are all good people, but when I came to Jesus, I had a lot of junk that I had to deal with. Is it okay to say that in front of these champagne people? Yeah, I'm looking at my elder here. He gives me the good nod. Like I had junk. And maybe you're like me and you got junk too and you got to work that junk out in community because we grow spiritually when we're connected relationally. That's how God designed it to work. If you are in a group that can't continue to meet because of the rhythms of life, I want you to consider what on earth are your are you doing because Jesus only made disciples in the rhythms of life? 
Discipleship is not just contained to church classrooms or your living room couches. Yes, you need to study what Jesus says, but then you need to go do what Jesus says. And you can only do in life's rhythms. If you're in a group, you should be serving regularly together. That might include people in your group and hopefully people in your spheres, in your communities, in your circles. And if you are not serving together regularly as a group, you have to ask yourself this question. Jesus said, I came to serve and not be served. That's part of the plan. That is if you're trying to follow Jesus' plan, if he's your captain. Jesus didn't say the world would know him by the, how entertaining our services were. He said it would be by the display of love from his disciples. And that will still draw people to Jesus today if we get in our positions. So you gotta know your place. You gotta consider your position. And last, we gotta check your power. You gotta check your power. Paul says, I have a, uh, verse 6, I have applied these things for your benefit. Now you see where I got my title to the sermon right from Scripture. So we learn the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. So I read a lot of smart dudes this week. No one knows where that saying comes from or they're kind of divided on what that means. Here's what I think. Paul's pointing to Scripture, which Jesus says points to him, which Paul sums up. If you want to know what would Jesus do, how would Jesus think, how should I react by looking at everything through the lens of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel. Everything points to that. Through that lens, everything will make sense. What we're saying is you can either be full of God or you can either be full of yourself. And Paul points us to check our power source because he warns us not to be puffed up. Now, I'm not sure how it works with you ladies, uh, but when guys are mad or we're angry, we want to try to prove ourselves and get our ways. He's already shaking his head. He knows where I'm going this. We, we stick out our chest and we fill ourselves with this air so we can walk around proud like a peacock. I'm not sure this is how peacocks do it, but like, you know, the point is we, are, we're, we haven't gotten any bigger. We're just filling ourselves with more of ourselves it's like you open up that bag of chips, right? And you, you, you're kind of disappointed because there's all that air and very little substance. So um, Paul challenges him with three questions. Who makes you different than anybody else? What did you get that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you act like you did not? What Paul is saying is everything they had that they thought that, that, that made them special was given to them as a gift from God, just like everyone else. So whether it's your leaders, your spiritual gifts, your, your talents, your resources, your Mercedes, your Subaru, whatever it is that you have, you got those from God. And I know we think that it's on our own effort that we accumulate all the stuff we have, but just watch how fast that stuff can disappear. The reason you have what you have it's because God allows you to have it and provides the opportunities for you to receive it. And when you understand that God is your power supply, you will hold things a little bit differently. 
That's why Paul says to them uh, earlier in, in, in chapter 3, all things are yours, whether uh, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all, all the people that work here, they're gifts to you. You don't have to like one better or other. You may not like me, uh, but, but I'm a gift to you. Maybe you're like, I want to return on that gift, and, and that's okay, but I'm just here to serve and love you. He goes on, uh, uh, or this world or life or death, you know, death is a servant to our master. Because all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Man, what an amazing thing. There's nothing you need that God can't provide. God owns it all, has it all, and everything is at his disposal. And because we are his family, we are children, because we belong to him, we have access to those benefits. This is not prosperity gospel. This is just gospel. That's, that's how it works when we're full of ourselves. It's hard for God to fill us because he, he can't fill what we won't empty. The reason why we don't experience much of God is that we're just experiencing too much of ourselves. And you know this is true when we're puffed up on pride and jealousy and, and things of this world. We can't be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He isn't trying to hold back from you. We're holding back from him. God is a giver. It says he's ready to give us a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, overflowing into your life. God wants to give you more than you contain. You know why? So you can bless people with the extra stuff that you have been given but in order to access these benefits from God we have to check where our power is coming from so here's the simple here's a simple thing do we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and do we believe and follow Jesus or do we lean on our own understanding and trust believe and trust everything we see on our smartphones or big screen TVs it's time we check our power supply you know, my insurance refused to cover that bill for, for Joey, even though she was my child uh, and she had rights to it. And so we were left with that big uh, bill to cover, and it really was a heavy, burdenful time that, um, you know, because I ha we had taken out a, a home remodel loan. We bought an old farmhouse, and we had kids that needed to fix it up a little bit, and I was trying to pay for the schooling so we could go do ministry. And, man, it just was a... This was a hard time. And I still remember to the, I mean, I remember sitting in my girls in the baby room. It was heavy, you know, we didn't know what to do. We we're trying to follow God and how could we do this? And it was my mistake, it wasn't God's. I was just trying to do my best. And, and I remember saying, you know, God has got us this far that we, we didn't know how it was gonna work, but he was gonna get us through. While I was denied benefits from my insurance provider, I was not denied benefits from my heavenly Father. Amen? And he showed up in three ways. One, he gave me tons of overtime at work. Most of the time, the way God wants to bless you is providing opportunities for you to do what he created you to do. And so I took advantage. The second thing is he, he gave an unexpected bonus to my wife, Michelle, from her work. 
and you can say what you want, but I'm still convinced today that God wanted to bless us so bad that he gave the whole company a bonus just to meet our need. So be surprised when you get things that come to you as surprise. And third, he gave us mercy from the hospital in the form of discounts. It wasn't, it's not just about it's not just about the money. You know, I'm not talking all the stuff we talked to. It's not about that. It's, it's so much more than that. During that time, we were able to, to minister to, to our friends and family, to our coworkers. We were able to serve at our group and serve at our church and, and, uh, and tell people about what we're experiencing with Jesus. I actually got the honor of leading two of my coworkers to Jesus during that time and got the privilege of baptizing them as as child of God into the kingdom of God. It wasn't that I was special or doing anything crazy. I was just, I was just rowing. I was just rowing. The blessings of God didn't come to us because we were special. The blessings of God are benefits of you belonging to his family. All we just did is apply them we keep applying them. It doesn't mean I don't face trouble. My car still breaks down. My kids get sick. My wife in the middle of battling breast cancer. But guess what? We don't go through trouble alone. We are rowing with people to the left and to the right and to our front and our back. And when you're rowing with other people going in the same direction, it doesn't feel that hard. And we don't know where we're going. We just know we have a captain that is pointing us in the direction we need to. have benefits first champagne the question is are we applying those will you apply those we're going to transition now into a, a time of communion if you forgot the emblems they're located at each one of our doors uh, you're invited you don't have to be a member here to take communion but we invite you to participate with us. And we talked about this temple, the Holy of Holies. And back in the Old Testament times, uh, it was separated. The, the Holy of Holies was separated by a curtain veil. And it symbolizes that man was separated from God. We couldn't get near him. Once a year, a priest would enter that area to make uh, atonement sacrifices for the people for our sins. And he would have to go through all kind of rituals and, and do certain things to be able to enter into the presence of God until Jesus came along. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, guess what happened? That veil got torn from top to bottom. And it wasn't a priest that cut it, it was your God that cut it, symbolizing that man is no longer separated from God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so when we gather to take the juice and the bread, we remember what God did for us but here's the catch for you today remember what God is asking us to do we reflect on God and there's our stuff is nothing but God chose to call us his temple to be his representative so when you sit there thanking God for all he has done remember it comes attached with things that you are to do there's going to be a timer that goes up 
And I encourage you to use your time to apply.